So, Dr. Freud, what do you have for me today? <laughs> I was surprised by this movie in many ways. I gotta say, I was regretting my decision. I, I think this would be something I'd say to my kids. Oh, that's good to hear. I think it's about a father's love for his child. Oh, absolutely, yes. And uh, a complete stranger's love for that man's child. wore really <laughs> ugly outfits. <laughs> Puke yellow, prom night, pale blue, you know. I, I don't even know <laughs> yeah. where to start Definitely with this film. Definitely not a movie I would consider watching unless you tell me to. Hello, I'm Derek. And I'm Peter. And this is The Mog. In this podcast, one of us suggests a beloved movie from our childhood for the other to watch. And then we talk about it. What made us laugh? What made us cry? And whether or not it explains our Oedipus complexes. What, Derek, what what um, have we got today? Now, hold on, Peter. Hmm? Hold on just a second. We have a guest, remember? Oh. Yeah. Him. Um, yeah. Uh, Is this where I come in? Our first guest of the Mog. Dear listeners, may I introduce Chris, my brother and source of childhood anxiety. Hi, Chris. And pain. And pain. Yeah. Well, that was more on uh, my side in terms of the violence that I rendered well, towards that's you. That's what I meant. Oh, yeah. right. I, I was mean, talking about it. my, uh, on, about me, not about you, because it doesn't really well, matter too much. I will say thank you for having me on, and I can't wait to see how you segue in your next special guest. That was spectacularly rehearsed. And masterfully executed. Well done, guys. <laughs> Welcome, Chris. It's so amazing to have you on. You're our biggest fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, yeah. I, I think our source, and we love you. Our source of commentary and um, and additional trivia. Well, it, listening to you guys kills me because, I mean, let's face it, half the things you watch are the things that I've watched. It's true. So I'm killing myself going, say this, Peter, for God's sake, say this. I think I generally do. <laughs> no, you're pretty good. You're pretty good. So I'm really happy to have you on. And it's actually, so it's one of your films for our GOG, our guest MOG. <laughs> well, I would say <laughs> GOG. I'd say our films, of course. But um, this one has become a favourite of mine, not just from youth and uh, young young times but also in later life so i'll come to that a bit later but i'll um, turn things back over to you so the film itself is forbidden planet from 1956 or as i'd like to call it science the art of sex or <laughs> freudian slips <laughs> i like to call it getting tanked with robbie and the chef <laughs> <laughs> I think I thought a while about this one, but I think I came up with 30 white men, one white woman and monsters from the id. What could possibly go wrong? That's amazing. <laughs> so I'll start off with a synopsis. Yeah, please do. So when Adams and his crew are sent to investigate the silence from a planet inhabited by scientists, he finds out all but two have died. Dr. Morbius and his daughter, Altera, have somehow survived a hideous monster which roams the planet. Unknown to Adams, Morbius has made a discovery and has no intention of sharing it, or his daughter, with anyone. <laughs> and can I just say that the planet is also called Altera, so, or Altair, so it's kind of like calling your daughter Earth. <laughs> well, if she is the only thing there, then I suppose it's not too bad. But... Well, if yeah, so Mother Altera. 
<laughs> what did you say? Eden I can see Kanye and Kim Kardashian's next daughter is going to be Earth. <laughs> well, it's better than Apple, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what you, that, that's what you plan to see. Uh, yeah, forget. I forget it. <laughs> so this was directed by Fred M. Wilcox. Who also directed Lassie Comes Home and Courage of Lassie. <laughs> so he was like the Alfred Hitchcock and the uh, Spielberg of um, of the 1950s, I'm guessing. God, I thought you were going to say it was the Alfred Hitchcock of Lassie. <laughs> well, he was, I guess, because Lassie Comes Home is the classic. But this one has been has drawn some uh, comparisons to Shakespeare's The Tempest due to its isolated setting and just the plot. Did you guys pick up on that? Um, I I have read that, but I must admit, watching it countless times throughout the um, years hasn't really brought that to my mind. I have to say, I've never seen or read the, the Tempest. I've read a synopsis, <laughs> having heard that it was uh, an inspiration for this film, but uh, I couldn't tell you to be perfectly honest. And one day that'll be my next step. Sorry, no, I was just going to say, I actually have seen the Tempest, and I <laughs> okay. still can't make the connection so it's pretty obscure then magical powers and all that sort of stuff right you know shakespeare greatest <laughs> playwright. yeah that's right it's just like saying we have this shit movie how should we make it sound better well let's just liken it to shakespeare oh thou woman <laughs> it was a pioneer of sci-fi right it inspired roddenberry yeah yeah pete's love of star trek the slow motion uh the, the motion picture was uh, certainly inspired by roddenberry as was their pajamas i guess I guess Roddenberry had one. Well, well, yeah, Roddenberry had one extra thing. He he had different races involved. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's true, and sexes. <laughs> but it, it was nominated for best visual effects, but it lost to the Ten Commandments. It was a big year for film. Ten Commandments, Around the World in Eighty Days, Rebel Without a Cause. So yeah, this was a bit dwarfed being one of the only sci-fi films. Actually, it doesn't feel like a movie from that era because Ten Commandments, isn't that... um, Heston. Yeah, Heston. Guns. (laughs) Sorry. Gordon Street. Uh, I remember a girl on Gordon Street. But that was a long time ago. (laughs) And that was this film a long time ago. But um, it also had uh, one of the best comedic actors of all time, Leslie Nielsen. Uh, It was his film debut. Amazing. Yeah, as a straight up actor too. You know, the leading man with the chiseled jaw and the the brains of a... And all I could think of was Naked Gun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I I have to admit that we watched this countless times when we were younger, and we also watched The Naked Gun. And I had no concept of who Leslie Nielsen was in this film until years later. So perhaps that helped, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, well, his hair was different. <laughs> it's like watching Angela Lansbury in films <laughs> from the 60s, where she's supposed to be young and attractive, and all you can see is murder she wrote. <laughs> I'm sorry, that but... golden one piece. <laughs> I'm the same. Every time you mention Angela Lansbury, all I can think is um, golden one piece. <laughs> so I guess it leads us to the question, why this film? What was your first experience? Did you watch this film together? I'll start with you, Pete. I think you should kick this off. I think you should, but mine is fairly brief. Yes, watched it lots. You go, Chris. <laughs> that was very brief. Um, 
Uh, yeah, we watched it a lot. Uh, I think one thing that you've got to understand with Pete and I, when we were watching films, we really, for the most part, certainly I didn't have much concept of what was going on half the time. We watched uh, the beginnings of films, no matter how dull and boring, so many times. And when you would actually come to the exciting stuff, that's the only stuff we could remember. So for us, we would always watch this film and then get really interested when the Krell would yeah. come in the ancient alien civilization or the, the monster attack towards the end. Yeah. And I think um, certain concepts may have come through through osmosis, but uh, it certainly wasn't conscious of the vast degree of sexism that was going on in this film. Oh, no. We, we had no idea of that part. No. Goodness gracious! Yeah. We we just sci-fi. Pete and I were sci-fi. It did teach us how to um, how to try to pick up a lady, you know. Absolutely nothing must show. I, I noticed that's how you kiss, Peter. <laughs> or wolf whistle. <laughs> so, how old were you when you first watched this? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't think as old as you were when you when you watched Deliverance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about you, Chris? What do you think, Chris? Uh, I, I couldn't tell you when I first watched it. I do remember Laserdisc. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, you had this on Laserdisc. And 2001, A Space Odyssey. Amazing. God, we had no idea what the hell was going on in that film. I still don't. Few <laughs> do, I think. I remember going to a re-release of that of the movies once and half the crowd walked out giving finger to the screen because they were so bored. <laughs> But, I, yeah, we were quite young when we watched this on video, certainly on video, but then Dad, I think, got it on Laserdisc. Yeah. So that sort of perked our interest again. And for me, I, I will skip ahead a little bit to the recent past, uh, and I, I hate to turn this into a bit of a history lesson, but it's part of why I'm here, because this film is actually really, really interesting when you look at it in another, another light. I, I was studying university and one of the best courses I've ever done was how does popular culture teach us about the Cold War? Oh. Now, I researched this film and it's brilliant for teaching So you. what about films, Derek? <laughs> what, what do you think of... No, I'm just kidding. Sorry, Chris. Keep going. <laughs> what about films? Nice one. It's revenge for me dropping in that slide, wasn't it, Pete? Coming down that slide yeah, after you I crunch still remember that. Dark. You almost broke my neck. God, he always almost about broke that. it. Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> you brought it up. You brought it up. What are you <laughs> talking now, now, about? Boys, no ice cream. <laughs> just because just like you're just huge mass That's landing. It. I'm on turning my, the car oh, around. We're going oh, home. All right. Sorry. There you go. <laughs> so, there you go, Chris. Oh, dear. I'm still picturing the squeal. Something like deliverance, I think. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, we were in like a, a saucer, weren't we? In the dark. It was like a spaceship. Robbie the robot was not there to help us. Be. No. Okay. Well, not me anyway. <laughs> so anyway, I researched this film and what I... It, interesting, it was made, as you say, Derek, the same time as the Ten Commandments. Now, if you watch the Ten Commandments and you watch, I think it's Cecil B. DeMille gets on and does a little intro spiel, which is essentially talking about communism. Uh, and saying how communism is a big, big, horrible threat. Now, at the time this film was going on, there was this big, uh, I'm sure at school everybody has uh, learned about McCarthyism and the HUAC, the um, House Un-American Committee's look for communists in society. Mm -hmm. And this film came out right when this sort of stuff was happening. Now, we, we, perhaps another day we could talk about High Noon. Uh, that was a very interesting one for 
commentary on this, but this film, while it didn't necessarily, uh, it, it wasn't out there overtly to scare you into communism, although certainly if you've ever seen this film and you talk about monsters from the subconscious, there was the threat of communism slipping inside every single one of us. Oh, gosh. Uh, what this film did was it talked about science. Now, people at the time were terrified of nuclear war and destruction. And people like scientists were originally thought of as brilliant, uh, you know, the shapers of nation's destiny. Well, that's changed. <laughs> well, look, and, and when, when the threat of the nuclear proliferation came around, suddenly people turned around and thought, oh, my God, these guys are dangerous. And you got someone like Robert Oppenheimer, the guy who uh, helped create the atomic bomb. Uh, he, some have stated that Morbius's character was a an Oppenheimer, uh, symbolic of Oppenheimer and his plight oh, yeah. during this time. Oh, wow. But um, but I love this film because it teaches us so much about the Cold War and and something you didn't talk about when you did War of the Worlds was a very similar thing. You've got that um, the aliens coming in and taking over through their superior force, superior firepower. And in the end, guess what saved us? It was God. Oh, really? God. I thought it was science. It was science, but it was also science the through institutions. God. Institutions will save us, you know, like the government. But don't you know that science is God? That's true. Or is that the other way around? Well, God. My God, I'm even God quoting God as we go along. <laughs> but this, this film was very much talking about... Uh, how institutions will save us. I mean, there's a part in this movie where Morbius says, I will, I will not release any technology and I will release it strictly at my own, own discretion, my own judgment. Well, there's even a line later on, we're all part monsters, so we have laws and religion. Ah, yes, that's right. There's the institutions coming in again. Mm. We're all, you know, that's why we have uh, religion and laws. So again, it needs to come under control of the government, this science, because we look after it better. This film is brilliant for teaching us about the Cold War, not only the scientific part, but also, as Pete brought up earlier, the gender and sex role stereotypes of the time. I mean, look, the future is filled with 25 to 30-year-old white men. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, Chris, what... what what does it teach us about race and sex? I don't understand. Well, it teaches us that society is white, especially the future. Derek, did you did you get that feeling from this film? Um, I was actually. I mean, you're 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 coloured. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Well, it's of that era where you didn't really expect there to be many coloured people, because you know that's how you know Hollywood was established, and. Um, but there, there weren't coloured people back then. <laughs> they didn't exist, right? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a historian by nature. I don't, I don't study it, but my nature is historical. <laughs> Sorry. I, I apologise profusely to the audience. And Chris, who is a large part of that audience, uh, please proceed. <laughs> well, you are right, I guess. Perhaps it's not teaching us that society is white but certainly the uh, the most influential and uh, perhaps the institutions are represented by white america mm, and yeah. uh, as we as we perhaps will talk about later the girl only gets the guy by covering up instead of showing off anybody oh yeah so i mean there's a lot there's a lot of talking about society at the time here uh, and that's why I, one of the reasons i love this film because it teaches us a lot about 
the time it was made in. Mm. So yeah, that's my uh, that's my little historical spiel. I encourage you all to watch it and learn about the Cold War. Mm. And uh, just um, historical views of women. Just be prepared. I mean, l- let's put it this way: if you actually think that what is happening is right. Um, maybe you were from that period <laughs> or before or of a mindset <laughs> because you know. I, I just can't see how anyone watching this now would not think that it's sexist mm. there is literally a bit where a guy is holding up something that is essentially a camera and he holds it up to the woman the one woman in this film and makes it go up and down and there's a wolf whistle on the other end of it <laughs> so <laughs> That's our inspiration from the pinnacle of mankind. Yeah. Yes. Well, I guess we should jump into the the plot itself. Yeah. With Act One, no survival suits required, <laughs> or as I like to call it, amazing. Very much of the uh, electronic score there, Pete. Very good. Uh, when I spoke to you about this before we watched it, Derek, uh, I said that you have to take note of the music. Did you get? Did you actually pick up that the sound effects in the background were music? Oh, yeah. Like, I had only watched a very small part when you hit me up about that. But then later on, yeah, you can't miss it. But I was really impressed with it. I actually thought it was quite brave to have a non-musical score and just purely electronic soundtrack. Well, this was the first completely electronic soundtrack ever done. And it wasn't like a theremin. It was people working with electronics and building their own musical devices. It was it was before keyboards and all of that. That synthy stuff was coming out. It was purely a group that developed it themselves. And it was just sounds and then add effects to it, like reverb and delay and just sounds incredible. I was pretty impressed. Yeah, especially that uh, Krell top number one hit, oh, yeah, which that was Morbius awesome. plays. Uh, it's about as exciting as it gets. I, I put that on I put that on for guests when they <laughs> come over just to get things like <laughs> well, we, we put that on our 5.1 stereo sound channel, right? So we could hear it in both sides. <laughs> and, and your kids ran screaming from the room. <laughs> we find interesting as uh, you were saying that this was one of the first electronic scores louis and bb baron uh apparently when this uh, had been previewed with the score attached the musicians guild or musicians union was a bit upset and so that they they refused to allow these guys to be listed as composers so apparently and i haven't actually checked this but apparently they were listed as electronic tonalities oh as opposed gosh. to composers so wow. you know the unions were strong even back in the 50s that's another institution yeah derek how would you feel being called a tonality <laughs> <laughs> yeah i didn't even know that was a descriptor of a person for sure so explain what happens. Let, let's give out whoever is listening a chance to understand what is going on in this film. Yeah. So first you see a UFO. And it's a proper flying saucer. It's a, quite a nice little ship, actually. And um, don't they introduce... In the 21st century, man landed on the moon. And it turns out that man landed about 10 or 15 years after this film on the moon. So, <laughs> and then they started searching deep space. A lot of this does, it, it does feel like your first science fiction film where it's talking about the development of some type of federation, some type of group of, of explorers and, and um, 
governments outside of Earth. And and I believe this is the first film that was ever played that didn't feature Earth at all. Yeah, I think that's true, actually. So they find this Earth-like planet. And that was a really cool feeling, I thought, where it's, you know, they're discovering a planet that's habitable and... Did, I don't know if you ever saw this series on TV, Earth 2 with Tim Curry. No, didn't see that one. Yeah, I had that real vibe about this. But I liked how when they land, you have this sort of alien covenant vibe <laughs> where, you know, they're just sort of exploring this planet with no suits on and they're just sniffing around. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, you think that like over 50 years later, and directors still manage to introduce people landing on an unknown planet without suits. <laughs> We've come a long way. It just reminded me of what your thoughts on that film was. Yeah. But then again, they already know that Altair is fine. Yeah. Because there were people that were sent there. But they don't know what happened to them. Yeah. And it, it sort of felt like a video game where they were reading out the brief. And I you know you, got, you used to play a lot of games together. <laughs> yeah. Did we used to play a lot of games together, Chris? I still remember once playing Command and Conquer with you, Pete. I was the only one who won. <laughs> one game out of one. Sorry, did I bring that up on this? What does that have to do with this? Um, yeah, we played a lot I, of I games. I think that has to do with the fact, Chris, that um, <laughs> well, we only played one game if you won. <laughs> Pete, that was, that was the only game that I ever won that I was even remotely good at that I beat you as at. As far as I remember, it was a... Dr- and I think you gave up because you saw me nuke something. Speaking of technology, mm. anyway, playing games, very, very similar to this movie, right? <laughs> Sorry, Derek, can you step out for a second? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 keep going. I hope our parents are listening to this because no one else is. My God. <laughs> so, did the other thing as well was it was J.J. Adams was commanding. Oh, J.J. And I was thinking, oh, J.J. Adams. <laughs> J.J. Abrams. Yeah, but anyway, that was... Not enough lens fare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. But even like Morbius Doctor, they speak to him on the radio and then Adams just cuts him off half from half's way. <laughs> <laughs> He's the embodiment of the, the strong American with... It, uh, th- this film really is a, a homage to the ideal that intelligence doesn't really count for much. It's really about... And the next line from him was, all hands must wear sidearms. You <laughs> 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 can bring guns. Oh, what does he say, Morbius? He says, uh, a commander doesn't need brains. It just needs a big, loud voice. Yeah, right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, yeah, so telling. But um, so anyway... They land on the planet. The planet is beautiful and stunning. And then... And rocky. There's not really much planet. True, and very rocky. And then a puff of dust. Yep, comes around. And then the Lost in Space robot's there. Yeah. Robbie. Mr. Robbie, his first appearance. And the chef just wants to know if it's a male or female robot. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's been in deep space with dudes. He wants to do it with Robbie. (laughs) You know, I didn't make that connection. But now that you mentioned it, I mean, it it does really, you know, lean towards what happens later in the film. (laughs) When they get drunk. (laughs) (laughs) And he disappears for all night. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, yeah. You know, apparently there was a a cut scene later on in the film or something they never filmed, which was supposed to be between... Uh, the chef and Robbie the robot, where the chef is so drunk, he says, have you got any female company? And apparently Robbie, all he could do is get a monkey. But they didn't bother filming that. 
Oh my god, that's great. Oh my god. <laughs> Robbie's got some good gags. He's like, oxygen, I rarely use it myself, sir. It promotes rust. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they get whizzed off to the base, and that looked very cool. Uh, Morbius's base with the little lake and purple trees. Yeah. And a fish, a fish, uh, a fish statue. Yeah, I saw a fish statue. I, it was actually, it just made me think. It, it, it was, it looked like like a Hollywood apartment in those da- in the way that they represented Hollywood apartments in the sixties. Mm-hmm. But um, apparently, some of those sets were left over from Wizard of Oz. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> But he was a philologist, which I haven't heard of, an expert in words, languages, and meanings. Oh, yeah, that's right. And um, and uh, all I could think was Morbius the young Colonel Sanders because he actually had... The little collar thing, the pointy collar. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't see it too much, but because he was wearing it in a black outfit, so it was kind of lost. And he was totally into the home automation, man. I was like... I was in heaven. I was thinking Google Home. <laughs> yeah. Closes the windows, the steel shutters with a wave of his hand. I got to install some of that. Handhold, uh, a household disintegrator beam. Oh. Everybody needs one of those. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just imagine what happens if you've had too much to drink and you stick your hand in that. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it's right near his kitchen, too. I did get that <laughs> Dr. Jekyll vibe pretty much straight away. Yeah, but watching this again, you, you're right. I also got that vibe as well. But watching it through, he actually doesn't do anything bad. Yeah, it's just his presence. He's, he's actually, he's quite a good guy, I think. Yeah. You know, perhaps perhaps he's like the fallen hero or something. Yeah, like he's not, he, like even, even when it's revealed who the bad guy is. Which we will come to later. It's not something that he's been hiding. It's something he wasn't really aware of. He didn't click. Mm. But um, so, so let's keep going. Introduce that his wife has died and everyone's died. And then a young woman appears on the scene and all the guys just go up in flames. <laughs> How did you guys feel about that as this is your childhood film? Never even noticed it, to be honest. No, didn't notice it at all. We were too <laughs> innocent to know what's going on. Yeah, really. Yeah. We would, I think we would, Pete and I would just fast forward any kissing that would probably happen. Oh. Because we, 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 did, we, didn't, we didn't get that stuff. We just wanted the science fiction bits. Mm. Yeah, Absolutely. Go into a bit more of the explanation of the way the planet works. Yeah, exactly. I could I could do with that for like an hour. <laughs> yeah, if, really? You know, just rewind and play it through again. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So the way that she's introduced, Derek, how did you take this? I just want to know from someone who's just seen this for the first time. Yeah, I was a little bit taken aback. It was a little bit overt. <laughs> it was just like in your face sexism. I don't know. I sort of was but it was on- like right in front of the dad as well. Yeah, like the he, the Morbius, the dad is just uh, watching as all of these guys are just openly staring at her, making comments to him as well as to each other. Yes, <laughs> and there was just some really awful lines like, "Oh, I think what you said must have been clever. I just don't understand it." <laughs> it's like, oh man, how did would this ever fly nowadays? <laughs> don't look at me. I'm just a girl. <laughs> oh, and it's it would never uh, like fly just now. the way. Like seriously, it's um, you know, they, they're saying we've got thirty men who haven't seen a woman in ages. You better look after her. It's sort of like someone else's responsibility if she gets raped (laughs) it's just oh my god it's terrible it is just so openly terrible (laughs) and they're saying the view looks quite like heaven yes as they're openly staring she's got a very bizarre ballet walk too i might add i think that was just um 
like a catwalk for the men. Ah, I see. Prancing. Morbius prancing. was yeah. Morbius was waiting for them to arrive so he could display her. Well, she was barefoot, so I guess she was trying to. Yeah, she was just given what she was got. I was I was pretty impressed with her acting. It was quite good. She sort of maintained a strong female presence despite the awful <laughs> script that she was given. It was almost like she was suffering through it rather than giving into it. Do you know what I mean? Like saying women are dumb and all of that type of stuff. She wasn't like that. She might have been naive, which is the way that they portrayed her. But I think as an actress given the role that she had i think she did a good job yeah and like when the first guy kisses her she doesn't respond to it and you know yeah (laughs) she's got her own sense of what's going on uh yeah so i think that leads into the next act doesn't it oh yeah act two splashing out with robbie and chef (laughs) (laughs) getting legless i called it the art of the deal oh yeah no i i I think I called it the the rain in Spain stays mainly in the plane, but not her bloody miniskirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, why don't you sort of introduce this act to us? Well, okay, so we've met Robbie, we've met uh, Morbius and his daughter, and we see that there's people on the planet and they're all okay. And then the captain says, "Look, we've got it. We don't know what to do. Uh, the, our orders were to see if you're alive and probably take you back with us. So we've got to radio back to base for orders." And just as they're building the radio, some mysterious invisible entity comes in and breaks their Klystron monitor, which apparently is uh, bronze coil. That is a Klystron monitor, is bronze oh. coil. Well, I mean... Uh, and then enough. they uh, want to know why it happened, so they go back to Morbius, and Morbius comes to Pete's favourite bit. Well, the kiss... No, oh no the, wait you're talking about goose the other stuff that's actually interesting i thought you were joking <laughs> uh, i i always see see this actors starting with the fact that they're having a discussion around kissing <laughs> when i was watching it because it goes from there to the yeah to the mysterious thing breaking in and i loved you know how they took the impressions in the ground yeah amazing was that was that at this point or was that after the guy was killed Oh, I think that was the next death. That was Quinn's death, I think. Yeah. The impressions. Come to oh, okay. Oh, well, we'll go back to that. Yeah. So they they um they destroy the Klystron and uh, talk to Morbius and he introduced them to the idea and the world of the Krell, which is all subterranean now because of just how long it's been around for. Everything on the surface has just fallen into dust. Who are the Krell, Chris? <laughs> The Krell is an ancient civilization who had uh, ventured themselves out into the galaxy, uh, apparently bringing back some animal specimens, which I found interesting considering there's only two or three in the film. And if they're going to have been to Earth millions of years before, how are there only two left? (laughs) One tiger and one deer. Surely there's, what is it, Noah's Ark or something like that. I don't know. But uh, maybe they're immortal. But uh, anyway, these guys, this ancient civilization has, uh, as you say, perished. uh, And uh, Morbius doesn't know why. He just knows that they disintegrated in a single night. They they had become scientifically and morally uh, so superior that they had come to the point where, as Morbius puts it, they had we're just about to move beyond instrumentality, which is essentially creation by thought or moving mm. things by thinking about it. Uh, no need to move or do anything. So imagine it like a, a Google Mini with a full wireless setup at home 
and you have to just think about it to turn the lights on <laughs> or to actually make it in the first place to be perfect yeah that's right you yeah, you imagine a Google Mini. Derek, what did you think? Are they paying us? <laughs> <laughs> they, should, they should be paying us for this. <laughs> Google. <laughs> I love the the set design of the arches, and you can see a real um, Star Wars influence with all of that sliding doors and the sets and the, you know, the massive scope of it. Yeah, it was amazing. No, it was. I, I loved that underground, the underground subterranean machine because it really is just this. It, it looks like a city underground. Well, it's essentially its entire purpose is to act as an energy supply. Yeah, you know, all of this stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's it, it. Especially if you think of the 1950s, this would have been a pretty mind blowing experience for people. Yeah, and, and a lot of the stuff that they talk about is is somewhat um, couched in science. More so than you would have in in a lot of other science fiction films post that period, and there is, I guess, for a lot of people who might not find it interesting, there's a lot of discussion around the actual nature of the Krell, the nature of the planet, the way that things work there, what happened to the people when they discovered it, uh, what happened to Morbius, and I was fascinated by that stuff. And he could just go on and on. And I was just like, well, come on, explore a little further, a little mm. bit more, give me more info. Um, but it's all just walking around explaining and showing stuff. But for some reason, I just found it fascinating. What about you, Derek? Yeah. And then they have a, like a little IQ pissing contest. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. But that's where they introduced the brain boost, which he, he got. And, uh, and your favorite character. Who, incidentally, was one of the worst uh, sidekick characters in any James Bond film there has ever been and ever will be. Uh, the wacky Midwestern American sheriff. Uh, we're talking about your cook, Derek. Oh, the cook. Oh. Okay. But he was introduced before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the cook with the booze. He goes, I think that was all just inserted because like... They thought it would never fly without a bit of comedy. So they just put these, yeah. these lines in for the chef, yeah. asking him to manufacture gallons of whiskey. Yeah, and he, he also serves the purpose of uh, making sure that Robbie the robot would, was not the one who caused the damage too. So it was also cunningly, oh, yeah, was cunningly written as an alibi, yes. Yeah, yeah, true. And those perimeter fences were really cool. I really liked all that stuff. Yeah, that was cool. Epic that special, stuff. which effects. I think leads you. I think it leads you. Therefore, once once you they figured out that uh, this Krell existed and this unbelievable power, which was essentially only Morbius's fingertips, because he was the only one who could translate any of the Krell writing as a philologist. They um, leads back to the romantic angle, does it not? Yeah, so pretty much this act is all about introducing the Krell and the machine and the character development of uh, one woman and 30 men. So it's just there's one guy who is first introduced and he's like doing his best to crack on to Altera. And um, of course, the dad's not having anything to do with it. He's fine with all of that. It's just the captain who's uh, trying to get her from being taken advantage of. Um, and in the process, yeah, they're trying to woo her through their various methods. <laughs> yeah, and she ends up ends up picking the guy who treats her like crap, right? I mean, that... that Isn't that how it usually works? Obviously, always trumps it. 
Yeah, um, all the way through, all the way through to the eighties, I think. No, the nineties, or is it? Or is it still? Well, we, you know, there's <laughs> there's still good examples of where it's a, a great method. You know, presidents and um, well, that's yes. One day, one day, people will look on this and realize that uh, Donald Trump was president, and they'll go, "Oh my God!" Now you, now we know what you're talking about. Yeah, Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen became Trump. <laughs> 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 now, there would have been a good caricature, right? Making Trump. <laughs> that was his that 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 beginning inspiration. He sat up. Of naked and gum. while we were looking at the scientific explanation, he was going, Oh, this is the way to do it. This is the way to work on the chicks. I know this, uh, this, this uh, intellectual uh, science he finds his stuff is just bullshit. But uh, I should take it down a notch because his voice probably would have been a lot lighter. Oh, this is bullshit. Anyway, moving on. That gets rid of the rest of our audience. Yes, back back to reality. But all the while, Robbie was given his little comedic lines as well. He was like, sorry, miss. I was giving myself an oil job. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Robbie. I love you, Robbie. (laughs) It was like, oh, we're we're all out of star sapphires. Will diamonds do? Yeah. (laughs) They take a week to crystallize, for God's sake. What are you talking about? (laughs) <laughs> it's it's interesting how a robot managed to make it into other movies. Not only was he a character in the film, but the character became an actor that featured in other films that had nothing to do with this one. Oh, really? I didn't know. Yeah, about well, that. he was in what other movies was he in? Um, like Twilight Zone, uh, of course. Um, uh, what was it? Uh, you Lost mentioned in it space. before. Lost in space. There, there was, was actually well. a. There was actually like an unofficial sequel to this. Uh, I cannot remember the name. Return to the Forbidden uh, The Invisible Boy. I think it was called The Invisible Boy. Yeah, that's it. Um, The Invisible uh, Boy. I didn't realize that that was a sequel. I've got the the Blu-ray of this film at home and that's on there. And I was reading a couple of people online and they said, do not ever watch it. You will have wasted an hour and something of your life and it will not have been worth it even in the slightest. All right. So it was a, a true Alexander the Great (laughs) <laughs> except half the length oh, see I'm watching that from a historical perspective and that never bothers me that really film. Colin Firth with dyed hair and eyebrows it probably it, it probably it probably ruins ruins history anyway considering he's not sleeping with a guy anyway which is what in reality he was doing that's not very well, historical uh, well, no, it just showed maybe one half of one half of what he was doing but, um, <laughs> what about the other half? It doesn't matter. It's only history. <laughs> anyway, so we've got um, Captain Adams. Uh, he, what he, he tells off Altera for dressing scantily and for turning on the other guys. And so, yes, she asks for a full body suit with beautiful diamonds and everything because she thinks that's the way to his heart. So, yeah, playing hard to get Captain Adams works every mm. time. <laughs> Good old JJ. What was your takeaway from this, Derek? Did you get some good tips? Um, yeah, I wasn't really <laughs> on board with any of all that stuff. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Derek, if you do do any of those things, can you film it, please? Because that'll go viral. Oh, my God. Oh my but God. at some point, Quinn died, and I was quite sad about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so Quinn was the engineer, so he was the Scotty was the of the one film. rebuilding the Klystron monitor that had been sabotaged. Actually, it's interesting. I did notice a few minor parallels with uh, Star Trek, and that is that 
the uh, the Captain Kirk of Leslie Nelson. Uh, the Doctor was his sidekick. Bones was the, uh, Doc Ostra, the, the yeah. Doctor next to him, and it had an engineer as well. And he was friendly enough. Um, so yeah, it was interesting. Uh, th- it did seem like a long Star Trek episode. Well, Quinn died, and he doesn't just die; he gets splayed all over the communications room. Apparently. It's quite awful. Yeah, of course, it's the fifties, so we would never have seen it. But the the, the mere idea. Just imagine. uh... And that's where you see your footprints, Peter. Yeah. And those are cool. And they actually filled up those prints and you see what it is. It's a massive craw. (laughs) A craw. Craw. A craw. A craw. A claw from the krell. Um, Yeah, it's cool. It's this massive footprint and you don't know what it is and it's invisible. I I like, and I think that that. The reason I liked it was because it was tapping into the unknown. You don't see the monitor. And you never really do get to see the monitor. Fu- uh, did I say monitor? Monster. You mm. never do get to see the monster fully. You see its outline or um, its footprints, but never quite the monster itself. Did you have memories of the monster, Chris? You know what? I, I seem to recall when we first watched it that either the monster was not there drawn the way that it was that I see it now. Or that I just never remember what it looked like. It's bizarre. Um, I actually know what you're talking about, Chris. Um, the video that we had, yeah, uh, cut out a lot of the stuff, the really? scenes where the monster. What the hell yeah, was going on in Australia back in the 1980s? I don't know. Maybe they were only interested in nudity. God, I mean, the reason I did that Spain comment for four was because apparently this was the first miniskirt uh, worn by, in a Hollywood movie and Spain banned the film until 1967 because she wore a miniskirt. Oh, wow. wow. But I mean, come on. 1980s Australia, you can't show animated monsters? Well, people were getting killed, Chris. That's true. That's true. One man did, a couple of guys did get picked he up. Got, well, yeah. Jerry got killed as well. Yeah. And he just was before that, he's he's like to the captain, he's like, she picked the right man. Then you go like, oh, Jerry. Yeah, so Jerry, Jerry was the guy who first had a chance. To, to crack onto Altera, yes. But damn it, Jerry, why'd you run in like that? Oh, I was also very sad. What I love from that scene, though, what I love from that scene is the, the way they shoot the guns. Those guns yeah. are so cool, but there was like no recoil. And I mean, it's... No kickback It's at probably all realistic, but it looks really funny when there's no recoil. <laughs> the intensity <laughs> on the faces, they hold their guns still. Uh, yeah, and I love it how he runs nothing. up closer. You, you, you wonder, how is that making any impact now that he's closer? Wow. Well, he, was, he was sacrificing himself. <laughs> For what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just glad he's dead. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I, I will say that <laughs> in this part, the uh, the build up to the attack is is really cool, especially yeah. the use of the uh, electronic sound and music. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, the way they build it up is really spooky, and and they've got the guy who's in the radio room. He can see it on his radar, but nobody can see it until yeah, it and it's getting sense. closer it, and closer. It's pretty yeah. cool it build up. Epic. They did that really well. Like there was actually like a handheld walking camera shot up towards the, one of those big guns, and that feels really contemporary. You would see that stuff done nowadays but this was the 50s so it's pretty cool yeah the set the sets were pretty good for the time i thought it was nicely done all around we're well into the third act now which i call the wizard of id yes (laughs) (laughs) have you seen that cartoon (laughs) no Uh, i called it booze and brain boosts 
Oh yeah, the brain boost. Yeah, I, I think mine was something about recoil, not in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I played too many games is my problem. <laughs> it's like it makes it too easy. Aimbotters. So yeah, that that's true. So Act Three is um Robbie gives the cook his alcohol, which consists of eight hundred pints. Sixty gallons. Yeah, 60 or something. Gallons. The captain it more or less has started to get the girl. Yep. And the the big attack happens. So then they decide to bug out and Morbius, uh, what's his name? Um, Adams and Doc Ostro head back to Morbius to do what? Well, they're going to get the brain boost so that they can understand what's going on because they don't trust the doctor anymore. And I should say that I think it's it's not um, not very representative of Leslie Nielsen's efforts, Chris, by saying that they're starting to have a relationship. She's pretty much in love with him <laughs> at this point. Yeah, um, mm. she's ready to go run away with him. But she's all, he was also coming back to save her as well. He said like to the crew, "Take off if I don't come uh, back." Yes, but that's the the fact that she has a what does she say attached herself to him, body and soul, yeah. forever. Uh, because one of the reasons why uh, Morbius and his wife were never killed by this magic monster was that they wanted to stay on the planet. Mm. And uh, she obviously does too up to this point. And now that they realize that she wants to leave, that means she's now in danger too. Yeah. Mm. So he goes off to talk to her about going away. And while they're talking, the doctor runs in on his own to get the brain boost. That's where he has his Yoda moment. Monsters from the id. Yeah. Yeah. So so what happens is uh, he's talking with Altera and they're making plans for their future. And she almost gets attacked by a tiger, which was a friend up until that point, And he has to kill it to save her. And they go back and Robbie is taking out the doctor's body who is dying. His last legs or lack thereof. Yep. And he says, what does he say, Derek? What's the, the, the key, the, the, the reveal? Oh, it was the monsters from the id. They didn't know. They actually completed their machine on no instrumentality, the pinnacle of civilization. But they forgot one thing. They forgot one thing. The monsters from the subconscious. Monsters from the id. Because the, uh, he actually doesn't know what the id is. He does have to ask the doctor what it is. He goes, what's the id, doctor? What's the id? He goes, oh, it's a... Obsolete. Yeah. I think it was an obsolete term. Well, I wanted to ask you, Peter, like, did you remember the psychology stuff from here as well? Was that an influence from you, for you? I wouldn't say that this was because I didn't know what they were talking about when they were talking about the id. Yeah. So I, I never really did pick up what they meant for a, quite a long time. Um, though you do get the idea that it's coming from the doctor's mind. You just... When you're young, you don't quite pick up whether it's something he's really wants or he can't control. But it essentially refers to the, that we all have that primal self underneath us, regardless of how advanced or how moral we are or how considerate and compassionate and conscious. We all have that primal self, that monster that sits in our subconscious. And that even though the Krell had come to such a level of advancement and um, transcended uh, to such a high extent, they still had part of their mind that was still the id. Even if it was really far into the subconscious, it still existed. And once instrumenta- uh, lack of instrumentality was reached, those monsters were given 
free reign to do whatever they wanted. And hence the Krell were wiped out in a single night. Yep. Everybody in the whole Krell developed their own monster, which killed everybody else. Yeah. There may mm. have been one Krell left, but I'm guessing that he got bored. Well, millions of years and you're not allowed to think. Yeah. What is that going to do? <laughs> What was your take on all this, Chris? You're a little bit older than Peter. <laughs> By a year. No, I, I think what I really like is, okay, this, this also, um, there was a, a fantastic documentary by a guy called, oh my God, I remember his name every other day of the week. Come back to it. Uh, he's a British guy. And he made this documentary called The Century of the Self. And it started off with Freud and how Freud's ideas became psychoanalysis. And psychoanalysis became really big through the 30s and 40s and 50s. So there's clearly an idea that sort of this was on people's minds. And as I say, we won't just talk about communism, the threat that communism lurks within all, all of us. But um, I really think this is kind of a nice, funky, deep and meaningful way of doing things. I think for a 50s film, mm. it's actually a pretty brilliant concept. Yeah, well, it goes into science and psychology, exactly. really. I think this is a fantastic concept. And Adam Curtis was the guy. That's him, Adam Curtis. Yeah, it was a 2002 British television documentary. Well done. Google, very quick, guys. And masking the sound of your keyboard, too, I might add. It wasn't Google. That was my memory. He's got some fantastic... Uh, there's some ads for Adam Curtis, if you're listening, dude. He, you know, he makes fantastic documentaries, but this was really cool. Yeah, um, JJ Adams, Curtis. <laughs> Curtis. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> So, yeah, I thought this was a fantastic idea. And uh, eventually we discovered that, that, that this monster is powered by the seemingly endless machinery inside the planet. So no matter how far they lock themselves behind sheet after sheet of impenetrable steel and metal and iron, this monster just draws on more and more power. To get through. I don't know how the hell Morbius almost dies. That is one thing that's always confused me. Why does he suddenly collapse and... Does the monster get to him or what? I don't know. I think what happened was he had the worst ice cream headache of all time. <laughs> because that's what it looks like. I thought his acting was really good though, in general. Ice cream from the subconscious. It was, but it did look like someone having the worst ice cream headache of all well, time. Well, if, if he's got the entire energy power of a planet behind him, imagine what that ice cream headache could do. Yeah, well, it was infinite, really. Monsters from the subconscious. I really liked the lines they were using. It was very sciencey, renewing mm. its molecular, molecular structure from one microsecond to the next. Yeah, that was really yeah, cool. Yeah. I thought yeah, that's I, true. I was impressed with that. It was interesting how the captain was so dumb up until that point. And as soon as he realized what the id meant, the subconscious, suddenly he was just the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> like the doctor was like, whoa, I don't understand why. <laughs> no, everything's fine. I won't hear you. Yes. <laughs> I accept it. I accept you. I reject you. I reject oh, you. I'm going away with you, darling. I will die for you. Your brain is so big, darling. You could order me around any day. And your voice is so loud. <laughs> I'll do whatever you like. You're right. I'm wrong. But yeah, so Morbius um, has an inner, um, I guess, battle. And as a result of that, he has a brain meltdown. He becomes mortally wounded, I guess you would say. Yeah. So he's dying and he... Well, uh, I'll let someone else tell this one because I, I just find it hilarious. Derek, you should finish this off being the neutral observer, I think. Well, he 
he passes away. Actually, I can't really remember what happens after that. <laughs> Sorry. It was too, you were too distraught. Um, he, he, basically, he refers to a piece of machinery that's quite handy. <laughs> self-destruct, I think it was. Oh, the self-destruct. The self-destruct. That's right. I was reminded of... I was actually thinking about baseballs. <laughs> <when I, laughs> it was like, thank you for using the self-destruct button. <laughs> Have a good day. He's literally like, <laughs> just push that over there. <laughs> yeah. Blows up the entire. It's interesting planet. that he's he's taken decades to figure out about the Krell technology, but he knows where the self destruct button well, is. Well, it's That's, so uh, obvious. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the other thing as well is like he's saying, oh, this room would have been used for Krell children to uh, to learn and and grow and they may or may not have been playing with the self-destruct button right around the corner <laughs> amazing yeah it was very convenient but it also wrapped things up quickly because yeah. pretty much all the pieces are done by they then. jump onto the the spaceship they fly away to a distance far enough with robbie at the helm and uh the captain with the girl and he explains <laughs> to her that one day her father's name will be up there in lights but it reminds us that we are not God. No, definitely not. Religion and law. Final ode to institutions. Institutions, yeah. Yeah, they did have a debate earlier on about who it is that should be dictating what to be done with this infinite technology. And it was Morbius, right? Yeah, I agree with Morbius, <laughs> I reckon. You know, if you want Leslie Nielsen to come along and tell you how to, um, that, you know, they should be the ones making the shots. Well... Think back to that context. People were scared of those scientists and uh, the government was it was a safe hand for you. It would look after you, right? So that's a moral dilemma. Isn't that more communist? Well, no. <laughs> Using a command economy to build your stuff is one thing, but making sure that the government, which is, uh, which is protecting you, has a better control of these scientific discoveries than a single man, I guess. I, I don't know what you mean. but Yeah, because that's always worked. Yeah, well, I mean, um, look at Trump. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Donald, there goes Donald. That was our last, that it really always, was our last. I, I think he's going to be, he's the, He's just like, um. he's the figure for our modern age. You know, he just represents so much about where we're going and where we've been all in the one place. <laughs> But I, I just, um, I all I could think was that now that um, now that they're all aboard, she's stuck there with thirty white men. Oh no! She's <laughs> the cat. She's the captain's girls, though. You don't mess with the captain. And Robbie can always make some female monkeys for them. That's true. <laughs> so, how would you rate this on your nostalgia meter, Chris? Personally, oh, this I love this film. You know what? I have watched it enough to look past now the uh, blatant sexism of the film, which is certainly strong. But I just love the premise. I love the fact that this is the 50s. And yet, I mean, it looks dated in many ways, but at the same time, it still holds up. Even though it's animated, it's not computer graphics. And yes, there's no damn recoil on those guns. <laughs> it's, it still looks pretty cool. And anyone watching it, it i mean it, it's a it's a blast from the past but it's and i just love the fact that there's there's a deep and meaningful side to it too it's not just sci-fi for sci-fi's sake yeah so you know for that sense i love it and remembering the first time i watched it years later and saw the monster thanks to that stupid cut tape that pete mm. was talking about mm. that was pretty pretty exciting yeah. wow what about you pete oh i'd give her a 10 oh wait sorry the film uh, um <laughs> Oh, I'd give it a 10. 
film was good. Sorry, another bad joke about <laughs> sexism. Derek. Oh, I I thought it was really enjoyable. It's very dark, but it's rich in sci-fi, and the music absolutely adds to it. I think mm. it's a very unique experience. The great acting and the story is engaging. The setting was really great. I would recommend this as a pioneer of sci-fi. It, it was um, acknowledged as a key piece of historical media. Yeah. So thanks so much for recommending this one. And thanks to my brother for being the guest on this because it's... it's yes, and apologies to everybody for letting us relive our fraternal frustrations. Shut up, Chris. I mean, uh. no, it's fine. <laughs> Say what you want. Just, yes. You know, we'll have that... We'll have that game again and, you know, we'll, we'll <laughs> sort it out. You know, we'll show who's actually good at playing computer games. And who... This time you won't quit when the nuke appears on your screen, right? Yeah. Well, I was frustrated. Uh, we agreed that Nod was overpowered <laughs> with uh, nuclear weapons. So. Oh, no. It was because I, I, I did what I always did. I just gave up and I just used the stuff I wasn't allowed to yeah. use. You broke the truce. That was, what, that was the way I did. Pete would always win. So there you go. Listeners, listener, half listener. If you want to beat Pete, fight dirty. <laughs> Pete, Pete was the better gamer. Always that's was right. That's absolutely right. And that's where we'll end this conversation. <laughs> and we're never going to talk again. <laughs> <laughs> One day you'll have me back here and this will this will have got this. I'm sorry, who are you? So That's right. I'm Derek's brother. Hi, Derek. I've heard you're a nice guy. Thanks again, Chris. Do you have anything else? What's your next film, guys? What's your next film? Oh, I believe it is Predator 1987. Oh. This is one of oh. Peter's. My God, did I pick this Not. one as well? Oh. <laughs> dear, oh dear. I will listen with bated breath and tell you all sorts of tidbits from yeah, that. We'll, look, we'll, we'll see if that is the next one. Things are a bit fluctuating at the moment because we may or may not have a, another guest, but we have to see how that one goes. Oh, very exciting. Well, hopefully you won't fight, Derek. I assume this is one of your guests. So <laughs> get that out of the way before the podcast begins. All right. Well, thanks very much, guys. And uh, insert catchphrase here. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Have you stopped? I'm going to press this stop button. I'm going to stop now.